You can stand real quick. We're just going to kind of dive right in. It's, I feel like these last couple of days, it brought us back to fall. It was nice. and I mean, I think it hit, what, 60s, uh, low 60s over the last couple of days. So I've been enjoying it, and it's nice. But um, buckle your chin strap, because winter is coming. It's going to get real cold real fast. Um, so, but I am grateful to every guest that is in this room and to those of you online. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. We're grateful that you have taken the time to be here. Um, so I trust that you've enjoyed worship, but we're going to dive right in. So I'm just going to pray. And as soon as I conclude the prayer, you may be seated. And we're just kind of uh, going to plot through some things together. Is that all right? Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we've already had to worship and, and engage with you and feel your presence. And so, Lord, right now I'm asking that every heart and ear would be open to your word, that you would anoint what is, on, uh, what is on my heart, which you have given me, that God will respond. And when we walk out of these doors, we're going to be that much better. We're going to take a step closer to you. And so, Lord, I'm asking that every heart and ear would be open, that your spirit would settle in this house. And, Lord, that we would celebrate what we'll learn today, and it will be engrafted in our spirits uh, by the end of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, for just... A little bit, I would like to talk about the subject when the blessing turns into a curse. When the blessing turns into a curse. We are in the midst of the holiday season. I know we just came off of Thanksgiving. Everybody has had their turkey, their ham. We've had a great time celebrating with family. It's a time where we take uh, just a few days to where we are... um, Thankful and we're showing gratitude for what God has done for us. We're thankful for those in our family and we're thankful for everything that we have in our, in our hand, the provision of God. We're, we're, we're humbled at what God has done for us this past year. And so we try to serve with gratitude and love on people. And so, uh, the season goes by so quickly. You know, we'll come out of Thanksgiving and now we're into the Christmas season. Yet another holiday. I will tell you the truth that I do not do anything Christmas-related till the day after Thanksgiving. I don't want to hear a Christmas song. I don't want to see any trees. I don't want to see gift wrapping. I don't want to have nothing to do with Christmas till after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving always seems to just get left out so quickly, and so I do not do that. And so I will be uh, honest with you. This is the very first year, though, that we have that we just started decorating. Normally, I am the day after. I am in full Christmas mode, music decorating. Uh, but it's time has moved so quickly that we are now starting to decorate our house. Is there anybody else in the house with me that's a late bloomer to Christmas decorating? All right, thanks for not leaving me hanging. All of you other guys, great job that you did it right. That's fine. But we're just now catching up to the rest of the world with decorating. Uh, but the busy season is this season right now in the uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. We are so focused on sharing what God has blessed us with and sharing what God has done for us and trying to bless others. And it can become a season that we are inundated with trying to, number one, either show how much we're blessed or trying to bless others. Uh, many of you will quickly find out in your credit card statements on how blessed you think you really are when you have to pay that bill uh, come January. Uh, but next week, obviously, will be our Christmas service at 1130. Bring somebody be here. But even next week's service, which is themed out to what child is this, we're going to walk through Christmas with the lens of past, present, and future, and how sometimes our blessings can really take away from what's really important. And so we are all blessed here. And if you don't consider yourself blessed, I'll give you some global statistics. 
If you have one vehicle in your home, you have one vehicle in your home, according to the world's, according to the global financial report, there's been several surveys done. If you have one vehicle in your home, you are considered wealthy. If you live in an apartment by yourself, according to the global financial landscape, you are considered wealthy. So we all have something to be grateful. We all have something to be thankful for. We really are a blessed people. And I never want to take for granted the blessings that God has given us. If you're excited, why don't you thank God for the blessings that he has given you? It's okay to be grateful and to celebrate those blessings that he has given you. But many of our blessings are really a result of your prayers and your alignment with his word. So a lot of what we are receiving, what we are recipients of, are the blessings that we have prayed for and that we have aligned ourselves with the word of God. But what happens when your answered prayer becomes your problem? What happens when the blessing becomes inconvenient to you? Now, you might look at me and think it's crazy. Like, there's no way my blessings will ever be a problem. There is no way that what I've prayed for would ever become a problem between me and God. Well, let me show you this. Who here has ever prayed for a child? Believe for family, wanted healthy babies. Listen, at the rate First Church is producing right now, we'll be able to fill, let's imagine, our new facility without ever winning a soul organically or through through the city. Like, listen, we are a machine of producing babies right now. We have a whole other wave of babies coming in. But there have been some prayers that have gone up here, and God has answered those prayers. Everyone in here with the child. Whether you had started your faith journey or not, I guarantee you, when you found out you were with child, you prayed that that child would become healthy, would be a healthy baby. But what happens when all of a sudden the prayer that you have prayed, the answer, your children, all of a sudden now you prioritize your child's after school curriculum activities over the very God that gave you that child? What happens when you finally have a family, but all of a sudden you can't come to Monday night prayer because you have to tuck in your family at eight o'clock because junior needs eight hours of sleep? What happens when all of a sudden the very house that you have prayed for everybody in this house this morning, you woke up with your heater on. If you do not have heat in your home, find me after service. I will help you. I'm being serious. Everybody in this house woke up this morning and you had your heat on. We've prayed for the covering over our, our, over our lives, over our family. We have homes, apartments, condos, houses, whatever it is, that, wherever you live, it is a result of you praying and disciplining yourself to make that payment. And so what happens when you have mortgaged yourself into having to work double shift and you can no longer make it to the house of God? Your prayer has become your problem. We look at the blessings God has given us. But if we're not careful in this season, those problems, those blessings can become a problem. It's all of a sudden inconvenient to live out your walk with God because now you have things to take care of in the home. Now you have to make sure the children are okay. Now you have to make sure that you have to pick up extra shifts to keep a lifestyle that you have chosen. You have chosen to live. And I'm all for nice things. Believe me, I am for it. But I am not for the blessings of God ever coming between me and God. I am not for the blessings of God ever creating a gap between me and God. If we are not careful, we can curse the blessings of God. 
Nobody else can do that but you. You can curse the blessing of God. Every hair of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me take you to Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content and prosperous. Everybody say prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I was lying in bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind, they terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the musicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. So I'll save you some reading. Here is the dream. There is a tree that took root and it grew. It grew high into the heaven and the branches started to grow. Leaves started to flourish. All of a sudden now you have livestock that are living underneath this tree. You have you have birds that are nesting in these trees, producing families. And so here you have a tree that has become a safe place. Everything looked great. You have livestock that's underneath the tree. The birds are there. The leaves are flourishing. The branches keep growing. And then all of a sudden in this dream, an angel comes down with a sword and begins to hack down this tree limb by limb, leaf by leaf to where now the birds have no place to rest. They're having to move on. All of the all of the wildlife is now moving on. There's no place underneath that tree for wildlife to live. So everything is starting to scatter until the angel finally got down to the stump. And what is left is only the stump. No wildlife, no birds, no branches, no leaves, really no tree, just a stump. And so Daniel is the only one that can interpret this. And Daniel says that king, that that stump is your kingdom. Right now you are flourishing, you are grown, you are a covering, you have been a blessing. But all of a sudden now this tree, your kingdom will be literally ripped from you and it will whittled all the way down to the stump. And just like the wildlife would leave, just like the birds would escape, just like everything would vanish, you will be gone from your kingdom. Your kingdom will remain, but you will be gone and so will everything else for a season. Now, you have to understand, Nebuchadnezzar is sitting like a fat cat in his house. We just read it, right? He is living in a place that it is my palace, I'm content, and I am prosperous. You have to remember, this king is the same guy in chapter 3, one one chapter previous, where he builds himself a statue. And he has everybody worship this statue except three boys. Three Hebrew boys didn't worship the statue. Meshach, Abednego, and Shadrach. Those three boys wouldn't bow and worship. And so what happened? Short story. Well, long story short. All of a sudden now, these three boys are thrown in a furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar can see the hand of God because what happened? There was a fourth in the fire, right? The Lord is in the middle with them. They come on. They come unhinged, not unhinged, but they come unsinged. They are clean. They don't even smell like smoke. They come out of that fire. And imagine the king. He witnessed this. Now, tell me here you have dealt your hand of pride, built yourself a statue to be worshipped to. And all of a sudden, you have watched these men come in and then the God of Israel prevails. The God of Israel shows himself that he is the only wise king. He is the true God, correct? Nobody else could have survived that fire. But watch this. 
In Daniel chapter 4, verse 26, it says, The part about the tree stump and roots being left means that your kingdom will be there for you after you learn that it is heaven that runs things. So King Nebuchadnezzar gets a decree from the Lord and saying, listen, you're going to learn that I run things. So apparently Nebuchadnezzar didn't learn something from chapter three after the statue he built himself. Now he goes through another cycle of telling your kingdom is about to be ripped from you. You ever feel like you keep going through the same patterns and through the same cycles in life? Is anybody in this room ever have to, you felt like you've been down the same road before and you have repeated the same pattern over and over again? Here's why. We'll spend the time and we'll pray. Lord, I am asking you to get me out of this situation. I need you to help me get out. You ever pray that prayer? Like, Lord, I need you to come quickly. I need you to help me. I need you to rescue me. And what does he do? He does that. Aren't you grateful that he'll answer your prayers? Aren't you grateful that you can come running to him, a strong tower, and you can say, God, I need your help in this season, and he'll pull you out? Well, here's the problem with that. After repeating the same cycles, the same patterns, you have to ask yourself, why is that? It's simple. The Lord is saying, well... I keep answering your prayer. I keep pulling you out of the situation. You get yourself into a mess. You ask me to bail you out. I come bail you out. When are we going to stop asking God to pull us out of the situation and ask him to help us learn through the situation? There are some things we have to learn in those seasons that will stop us from repeating the same behaviors and the same patterns year after year. Same cycles that we seem to be going through year after year. Why? Because God has been rescuing you every single time because we refuse to learn something in the season. So here is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's already gone through understanding or should have understood that, hey, I have watched the God of Israel save these boys because they wouldn't worship me. And so here I am now. Watch this in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Twelve months later, after the dream... As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my might and power for the glory of my majesty? Daniel just, it wasn't just that he was told he would never, you know, he'd have to learn from the heavens, right? This is what he said in verse 26. After you learn that it is in heaven that things are ran through me, he now says, I built this royal palace. It's my might and power for my majesty. Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. That is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live in the wild with animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times or seven seasons will pass by for you until you acknowledge the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms. He had another lesson to learn. He he was blessed, had a palace, an abundant life, prosperous, everything at this man's disposal, everything in his hand. He was blessed. My palace, my prosperity, but I built that. It was my power. All of a sudden, this man's blessing became his curse. What once was a life of abundance and prosperity became a place of isolation and poverty. His blessing was pulled from him because why? 
He didn't value the blessing. He started valuing himself over the blessing and thought, I did all of this. I'm the one who put all of this together. He cursed his own blessing through his own pride. See, we often look at our own ability to create. We look at our own ability to provide financially. We look to repair what's broken. We'll dig ourselves out of a mess we make. And sometimes we'll try to manipulate things, even in relationships, to have them fit our agenda. Have you ever found yourself in a mess and you try to fix it? Listen, I I know a lot of you cats aren't going to remember these days, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Remember the days of writing checks? Who here has written a check? Amen. Look, I remember back in the day, it took three days for a check to clear. Y'all remember those days? Yeah, there's a few broke people like me when I was in that stage. Listen, me and Bridget, we was broke. Like, no joke. We had zero dollars. And I remember being broke. I said, well, if it takes three days to cash this check, I get paid on Friday. I can write a bad check on Wednesday to get my bills paid, and it won't clear till Monday. Three business days. I manipulated time because I put myself in a terrible financial situation. Trying to write a bad check today, that dude gets cashed same day or the next day. You have no shot anymore. This electronic world has changed the game for people like me who would write bad checks all the time. But man, you write a bad check because what are you trying to do? You're trying to control the situation. I put myself in this situation. Now I'm going to try to manipulate it, write a bad check knowing it's not going to clear to pay my bills. We'll oftentimes get ourselves in a situation in relationships. And what do we do? We manipulate the relationship so we look like we're, we become narcissistic in our relationships. Why? Because we're trying to control them. We're trying to repair something. We're trying to fix everything. We're trying to put it all on ourselves. And we take the blessings God has given us and we can curse the very thing that God gave us because we think we are actually in control. But we forget something. On day of creation, when he created, he spoke things into existence. But you and I were formed And then he breathed his breath into your lungs. It's his sanity in your mind. There's nothing you can do on your own. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for anybody in this room. We are blessed to take the next breath. But if we're not careful, we will lose that blessing and we will curse it. Because just like just like Nebuchadnezzar, we will start to think we're the ones that created this. We're the ones that put it together. I'm the one that worked 40 hours. I'm the one that worked 60. You wouldn't have that job if you didn't give you that job. You wouldn't go to work and clock in if you didn't have the oxygen you don't to do so. If you didn't have the mental capacity to perform the work that you have. But with his blessings, we often think it's this final step, like this final thing of approval from him. Like because he's blessed you. That everything in your life is fine and there's nothing that needs corrected or touched or needs to mature in. Listen, I've got two boys. One day, my boys are, they are blessed because of of who their daddy is. What's mine is theirs, will be theirs. But my kids need to know that with the blessings come this responsibility and comes a maturing. I need to know that you have a level of gratitude and humility when you receive something from me. I think a couple of weeks ago, and this we've had prior conversations, but a couple of weeks ago, we were really looking at 24 and we were mapping out what our goals are per quarter financially. And we're looking at things. And one of my sons, I won't say which one I said at the 915, but I'm glad I caught myself. So I won't say it here because both are in the room and it's live. So I'm not going to. But I'm talking to these jokers about where we're trying to go financially. And these dudes are like, dad, just give us the stuff right now. 
Like, help me. I'll manage the properties. I'll figure this stuff out. Like, teach me to go do it. And I'm like, son, you're not ready to handle it. Like, if I gave everything right now, you'd destroy it because, like, let's get it together. Like, you're in a cushy home. home. You got it made. You haven't had to really take on this kind of responsibility. And so what I can give you, the blessing that comes with your father being in my life comes with some responsibility. If I give it too early, that blessing would become a curse to my children. I'll prove it to you by taking you to the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, here's a father with his two boys. The youngest goes to dad and the youngest says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance. I I want it early. Now, listen, an inheritance is a great thing. It helps you. My father did an amazing job of helping me and my brother get some advantages in life. And I'm doing the best I can. Every parent in this room ought to do the best they can to give their children advantages in life that you didn't have. But there is something with using wisdom, exercising wisdom in what you do and when you do it for your children so they don't grow up to be a bunch of spoiled brats. That's Bible. But I would have loved if the prodigal's father was my neighbor because I'd have smacked him. Like your son is asking you for an early inheritance and you're like, okay. I'd have been like, fire no. You're not, you're not getting it right now. Like you're too young. This is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. But this, this dad gives his son an early inheritance. So now the boy has something prematurely out of season, a blessing out of season he wasn't ready for. And scripture tells us that he went to a strange land and he squandered it all. He wasn't ready for it. The blessing he should have had became a curse to him because watch this. The boy is sitting in a pig pen. He's now begging for food. I always thought, that scripture read that he asked the farmer, said, let me just eat of the, uh, of, the, of the husk of the corn of the pigs. But the farmer actually said no. So the prodigal actually never even ate what the pigs were eating. What does that leave you to think? We'll follow the thought through. If he's in the pig pen, you can't eat what the pigs are eating. All he could eat was the jewel that was left from the pig as it hit that slop. He's not even worthy to eat what the pigs were eating. He's eating what the pigs left him. How does a blessing become a curse when you're not ready for it and you force a door open? That curse, that blessing becomes a curse to you because you weren't ready for that blessing. The inheritance was a blessing, but turned into a curse because he forced something that should have never happened. That's why God never shows us the full picture of where we're going. You ever get frustrated with God to like, hey, God, where I don't understand. I've been in this cycle. I keep going through this. I'm not sure what's happening here. I've been praying about this. I don't seem to get the answer. You ever feel that way? But man, if God ever showed you who you really would be 12 years from now, do you think you'd be frightened? If you would have told me, Mike Netto, Fall River, Massachusetts, grown up on the East Coast, you would have told me by 44, I would be in Detroit, Michigan. Well, put a pause. Number one, I grew up in Massachusetts. I know what it's like to have real fish, not red lobster, not trash fish that we get here. I'm talking about real lobster. I'm talking about real scallops. I'm talking about me and I forgot who were, I was just talking with somebody at the 915. Like, I'm not talking about like tuna in a can when you get. Oh, it, it was Brother Perry. When you get tuna, it's like a, it looks like a steak. When you're back east, you're getting a, you're getting a tuna sandwich. It's like a steak. Of tuna, like it's a legit sandwich, not no little tuna salad like from a can. You tell me I'm going to move to Michigan 
where I'm going to have to go to Red Lobster and have some scallops. From, no, no way. I got to drive to Birmingham where there's a couple of decent places I can get a good lobster and pay $40 for a tiny sandwich here. When I can do it for $28 and they, I mean, they're caking that lobster on that sandwich. I would have never agreed to move to Michigan when I was 17 or 18. There's no way. And then if you would have told me that I would be on a staff and I would be helping pastoring a church that's incredible like this, I'd have ran. Man, listen, I, I, we got married. I was eight. Well, Bridget was 18. I was 21. I spent my whole life trying to make three people happy. Bridget and the two kids. Half the time, I can't even nail that down right. You mean to tell me if I would have been like, oh, you get to try to make three or 400 people happy? It's not gonna, I would have freaked out. I'd have ran. God would never show me the picture of where I am today because I wouldn't be ready for I would have destroyed my blessing. It would have cursed me because I would have made some terrible decisions out of fear and out of immaturity. Because God wants to us to know that, listen, I have a blessing for you. But if you're not careful, you will turn that blessing into a curse because you are not ready for what I have for you. So be careful what you ask for. Be careful, Lord, if I, I just want to be, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a worship pastor. I want to be the head usher. I want to be, I want to serve. Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Well, guess what? Pray that prayer and you're going to be used. People will use you. You can't be mad at God because you asked for it. You can't be mad when you get hurtful. I've, I, listen, this is, this is what I do, right? I've heard that so many times. Like, this is what I, well, listen, you know what? I can't be mad when people hurt. Like, I, it's funny when you have to sit there. I'll just give you a low, a low key. This is low down truth. There are people in your life that are going to hurt you. If, if God if, just use me. OK, the very same people that will hurt you will be the same people that will come back when they need something. And then you have to sit there and put a smile on your face, act like you love them and help them anyways, because that's what you ask God and what he's called you to do. So when that blessing comes of being used of him, be careful not to become bitter and turn it into a curse because you weren't prepared to handle the blessing because you were asking something prematurely like the prodigal son. I know ain't nobody helping me here this morning, but these are facts I'm telling you right now. There is a blessing that we possess in our hand, but if you're not careful, you can turn that blessing into a curse. You're not ready for it. Look at Judas. Judas is one of the 12. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, the first two verses show the 12 that are getting called out. Verse, verse 2 will show you that Judas is called out. Now here, the Lord has 12 dudes. Let's take it to today. He's planting a church. Jesus says, hey, listen, you know what? I'm going to go plant a church. I'm going to Gross Point. I'm going to plant a church in Gross Point. Perfect. I love Gross Point because it's on the water. So I'm going to use that. So here... Jesus takes these 12, his team, and he plants a church. And Jesus said, all right, now, Judas, you're the treasurer. Man, there's 11 other people that are upset that they're not in a position. Really, if you, if you study it out, out of the 12 disciples, there's only one disciple that actually had a job description for the Lord, for Jesus. And that was Judas. He was the treasurer, right? Now, watch this. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. Matthew works for the IRS. He has, a, he has a degree. He is a CPA dude. Like, he can count money. Do you think Matthew was ticked? How would you feel if Jesus, if Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm going to start a church, and I'm going, to, I'm going to pick Judas, who has no experience whatsoever financially, and he's going to be over all of our money. How do you think the church vote would go that, that business meeting? 
How ticked would you be if you're like, well, what about me? And here Matthew's like, I don't understand. I'm degreed. I've got all this. Why won't you use me, Lord? He said, no, I'm using, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to use Judas. Oh, what about Andrew and Peter and, and James and John? They were fishermen, right? Those are businessmen. They're, these guys aren't just out there like on the Bass Pro Circuit trying to catch the biggest bass so they can like mount the dude on the wall and like win a prize. This is what they do for a living. I remember a few years ago, we went back east for a vacation. We were in, in, in Maine, Portland, Maine, and we did a, uh, a lobster excursion. So we paid a guide and we went lobster trapping. And the cool thing is when you're, when you're trapping for lobsters, you, you'll get on this boat, you've got your captain, he'll take you to where the traps are, we'll, we'll bring up the traps. Oftentimes you'll have one or two lobsters, some of them are pretty small, some were decent, lots of crabs in, in those traps. And so if you, if you could, if it was legal, if it was the right size, you could keep the lobster, you could purchase the lobster from the captain at market price, and they had to deal with the restaurant. You could take that lobster to the restaurant. They'll boil it for you, and all you do is pay for the sides. So those, those fishermen are businessmen. They know what the market value of a lobster is. They know what the market value These guys had loans at Genesis Credit Union. They were buying boats. They needed money to fix their boats. I mean, they knew what the market value was for, for scallop, for shrimp, for lobster. These are businessmen, four of them. And Jesus didn't pick not one of those guys. He picked Judas, who had zero experience in the church world. They would have murdered Judas just at the business meeting. But here, Judas is excited because he's blessed. He gets to have one-on-one. Think about that. Of all of the people on that team, all 12, Judas is the only one that gets to sit with the master and have conversation. In scripture, you can dig it out yourself. There are plenty of scenarios where people were coming and they were in the ministry of Jesus. They were giving of what they had because they were being, they were receiving from Jesus. They were receiving his word. And so that's how they ate day to day. They took care of their bills. They were receiving. So somebody had to be the treasurer of this church, of this group. And so now Judas gets to sit down with Jesus every single week. We don't know what those conversations look like, but we do know That Jesus meets with the master and has one-on-one time when everybody else is fighting for one-on-one time with Jesus. And so here Judas has this blessing to be able to sit with him. But we all know what happens to Judas at the end. I don't know when or what or how it happens. But I will say this. It was never overnight, but it was over time that Judas started to go down a slippery slope. It was over time, we don't know when, Judas had conversations with others, the wrong voices in his head, that he started uh, skimming off the top financially. We don't know what that looks like. Maybe it was a sense of entitlement. I'll be honest with you, I will confess to this church right now. For the longest time, I was stealing every single week. Every week I was stealing. I was a thief. And then one day the Lord convicted me. Because every day about one o'clock, I'm in that office, And I'm hungry. And I don't want to go get a snack. So I'd make my way through the hallways into the halftime room where I would steal a ton of snacks. But I wasn't stealing, though, right? Because I work here full time. I tithe. I give generously in the offering. I'm part of the Let's Imagine campaign. I started to rationalize everything I was doing because I just wanted a snack. 
Here, let me help you this morning. And aren't you thankful for every serve team member that's here this morning that helps and works both services that they're here from 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. working so hard to make sure that the teens are taken care of. We are forever grateful for Tina and Glenn Wilson. They do an excellent job. Excellent job. So listen, let me help them out. If you're not serving both services, stop taking the snacks. If you don't serve both services, don't go up there and beg them for coffee. Join a serve team. You can have all the free coffee and snacks you want to if you serve at both services. That's just free. Just trying to help out our budget and help out our team so we're not running out of food. But I was the culprit, so I felt guilty. So I had to go back and give an additional offering to pay back all the snacks that I stole. So you don't think Judas at some point was like, man, you know what, man, I, I'm, I'm the treasure of this, this band of men. You know what, I work hard. They don't pay me. I don't get a salary for being the treasurer. So it's okay if I use, it's okay if I take a couple of dollars. And at some point, this blessing of the one-on-one time with Jesus became his curse. How many of you are given rewards or you're given benefits at work? Maybe it's a fuel card. Maybe it's break times. Maybe you don't have a boss that micromanages you. But how often, this is real, how often is it that we start taking the blessing, man, listen, God, I don't want anybody to micromanage me. I can't have anybody hovering over me. And you get that. And all of a sudden now, we're stealing time from work to do personal business. All of a sudden now, that gas card is personal gas. All of a sudden now, the perks that came with the company, they end up, those stakes you should be giving your clients, they end up in your freezer. Right? All why? Because we start to rationalize it. We start to, what do we start doing? It's that sense of entitlement that Judas had. And the blessing that God gave you became a curse because what happens to Judas? Watch Luke 12 and 48. For unto whomever much is given of him shall much be required. You're given all these blessings. More is required of you. But instead, we take on what Judas did. And we start to abuse the blessing and all of a sudden becomes a curse. And what was a blessing to Judas became the became the epitome of his demise. A man that walked with God, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, all of a sudden now commits suicide. Why? He had to the very ends to ask for repentance, the very ends. And yet he still made a poor choice. Blessed. But it became a curse because he started compromising somewhere took his eyes off the one that was blessing onto the blessing only off the blesser and focused on the blessing only. But more is required when you are blessed. We've all been blessed, but there is a price that comes with blessing. You can't just take blessing at face value because we could become like Nebuchadnezzar. And all of a sudden now we start looking at the blessing and you start to think I did this. I worked hard for this. I put this together. I put that relationship together. I figured out how to fix their problems. I did. And all of a sudden, with all of the self-help books and YouTube that's helped everybody in this room figure out stuff in their life and in their job and in their in their hobbies and whatever it is. All of a sudden, we take on that YouTube mentality like we own it all. We can fix it all. And all of a sudden, the one that blessed us is left in the rear view, which can happen in a season like now where we're talking about blessing and giving gifts. But we forget to give the one who gave us the gift our time back to him. Our, our spiritual walk suffers in the blessing. Why? Because all of a sudden we start to say, look how prosperous I am. Look at where I am at. There is a cost that comes with blessing, a price. Take you to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25, and I'll, I'll jump around and you can follow on the screen. But here Jesus is traveling 
from Bethany to Jerusalem. He's with his disciples. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, everybody say having leaves. He came. It hap- if happily he might find, hoping to find anything therein or thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of fix was not yet come. So everybody say, the time was not yet come. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of here after forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. So in other words, Jesus finally makes it into Jerusalem, sees a tree, he's hungry, sees some leaves and says, hey, you know what? I see some leaves. Let's go to that fig tree. Run, walks up to the fig tree. There are no figs, curses it, makes it into Jerusalem and Works, ministers in Jerusalem. Now he's leaving Jerusalem by way of Bethany. And in the morning, verse 20, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. You have to understand, Bethany is on the eastern side of Jerusalem, two miles away. So between Bethany and Jerusalem, it was a a road well-traveled. And there is this fig tree there. And I always thought when you read in verse 13 at the end, it came happily that he might find anything thereon. Here, Jesus sees these leaves and runs up and and comes to this tree and finds that there is no there are no figs there. But at the end, it always read for the time of figs was not yet come. So I kept questioning, why in the world would Jesus be upset that a fig tree doesn't have figs in its season? Like. I couldn't be ticked if there's no apples on an apple tree in February. Like, I'm not going to be mad at that. I can't be mad if it's out of season. So I started digging into a fig tree, and I found out that a fig tree, a mature fig tree, actually will produce figs right before the leaves grow. This is why when Jesus saw the tree, he said, man, I see some leaves. Let's go to that tree because he assumed there would be some figs on there. Well, then how do you rationalize for the times of figs was not yet come? Well, actually, in that climate in Judea, fig trees were planted everywhere. So you had fig trees that were planted in vineyards by those that owned vineyards. And you also had fig trees that were planted on on main main routes, because what would happen, those fig trees would grow and they would build this beautiful canopy to where if you were exhausted, you were tired, you could go underneath that fig tree. You could have shade. You could have rest. You could eat. So those figs would be they, they could potentially produce year round. So the time of figs was not was not here yet. All that was simply saying is that it wasn't time to harvest them. But they should have been growing and you should find some ripe ones because the leaves were there. But it wasn't official time for them to harvest them. So you follow me? Jesus seeing the leaves says there must be figs. Walk to the tree. There are no figs. All there are are just leaves. There is sign. There is evidence that there should be figs, but there are no figs. So he gets upset and he curses it. There is a time for us to grow, but there is a time to produce something. That fig tree is a blessing to the person that is walking, should have been a blessing to Jesus and his 12 because they were hungry. And it should have blessed them on the way to Jerusalem. But because the tree was not producing, Jesus cursed the tree. Now let's go to Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And he told this parable. 
A man had a fig tree growing. Everybody say growing. It's growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this tree. Three years he's been looking for fruit and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it be used for soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. For three years, this tree had been growing. The tree had been growing. How many times have we heard, well, hey, they're just growing. Hey, I'm in a growing season. I'm just growing. How long can we keep saying we're growing and we don't produce anything? How many times do we meet? And we talk about things and like, hey, this is a great growth opportunity. You're meeting with people. You're investing in other people. And if somebody just says, hey, man, I'm just growing, I'm growing, and they're not producing anything, the tree would be cursed after three years of not producing something. There's leaves but no fruits. All it's doing is drawing nutrients from the ground, but it produces nothing. All it's doing is sucking up the energy, but it is not adding value to its environment. That's a hard one for us to think because as Christians, we are supposed to be producing something. We were taught at the beginning, first take care of your relationship with God, and then you are to produce disciples. You start in your home and work outside of your home. Start with your family, produce disciples there, those that are the closest to you, and then we should be in our community reaching people and producing disciples. But if all we do is sit there and all we do is suck out the energy out of the church and we don't produce nothing back... The blessing of the church will become a curse to you because all you have done was you have drawn nutrients, but you have produced nothing. And in this season right now where we are inundated with blessing and being a blessing and giving, but all we do is draw, 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 we're growing. Just like that tree of Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to keep growing. But if we don't produce something, your blessing will become a curse. That's why if you look at your children, if all we do is show our children how to keep growing, listen, Dad, we're just growing here. We're just going to just working on some things. But I don't I don't produce anything for my boys. I will have the most spoiled children ever. They will be spoiled brats because why? They never learned or never saw dad invest in anything else other than himself. That's real talk when you're looking at parenting or when you're looking at the blessings that God has given you. If all we do is focus this season on your blessings, you better take care of them because what will happen is it will take care of you and you will be you'll be just like Judas and you will have squandered a relationship with Jesus because you were trying to reach something that you had no business in reaching. The blessing of a fig tree is to provide shelter, food and commerce, but without producing fruit, it becomes a waste and is cursed. And so we have to ask ourselves. In this day and age, you have to ask yourself, when was the last time I produced something? When was the last time that I produced or am I still in a growing season? And I believe you can grow and still produce something. That fig tree was producing figs while it was producing leaves, but it was producing some sort of fruit. You can grow and still produce something. Give back to the kingdom. It's not just about us and it's not just about what we can do here, but it's about reaching the city. That's why we're trying to build something with Let's Imagine. We're trying to reach the city, but it takes us to not just focus on our blessings, but to do something about it. Because I do not want to be Nebuchadnezzar. I do not want to say, look at my palace. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have built. 
because those same lessons that Nebuchadnezzar should have learned in chapter three could have prevented him from chapter four and losing his kingdom. So what is the lesson that we're not learning in our personal lives? What is the same behaviors that you have found yourself repeating time and time again that you're saying, all right, God, I give up. It's time for you to walk me through this. I need to learn in this season and not just rely on my blessing because I don't want to repeat the same old season time and time again. And I am coming to a close. But during the holiday season, don't let your blessings become your curse. Whatever season of life that you find yourself and God has blessed you with, don't let that be taken away from you because you've stopped producing from the kingdom. Now, let me tell you this. You cannot. Well, nobody can curse your blessing. Nobody can curse your blessing. I could take you to Numbers chapter 22 and 23. Israel is enlarging its territory. It's been growing. And here, the Moabites are afraid that Israel will conquer them now. And so Balak, who's the king of Moab, he, he, he basically brings on Balaam to try to curse the Israelites. So he said, Bail, listen, we're going we're gonna to get together and uh, I need you to curse these people because they're growing and I'm afraid of my territory. I'm afraid of what's happening to me. Scripture says that the poor you will have with you always. So the NIV Neto International Version says the haters you will always have with you. So just like Balaam, he set up, he went to curse the people of God and a blessing came out. So Balak is ticked. He said, I didn't tell you to bless them. They're already blessed. I need you to curse them. And so what does Balaam do? You know what? Let's, let's go over here. And he switches position, changes location. And what does he do then? Opens his mouth, and a blessing comes out. So now what happens? Man, you know what? I'm, I'm going to move positions again. I, I'm telling you, I, I can curse these people. Let me, you know what I mean? Listen, Balak's trying to pay him. Listen, I'll pay you whatever it is. Don't be seduced by the world and to give up what God has given you because you're just trying to make a quick buck. Not all money's good money. Not all free money's free money. Not everything is worth investing in. And so here, Balaam's trying to make a quick dollar, and the Lord's like, you're not going to touch my people. Nobody can curse your blessing. He would open up his mouth, and what would happen? A blessing would come out. There are people that are jealous of you. There are people that are envious of where you are. God's favor is on you. You've been experiencing the favor of God. There are people that are always going to talk behind your back. There are going to be people that want to destroy you and tear you down. Remember, uh, maybe it's been a couple of years ago, and we were working with another church, talking to another pastor. This is in the church. And we were looking at infrastructure and how first churches structured and ran operationally. And uh, he said, man, is this, is this real? Like, you guys are all, like, friends? You guys all, I mean, today, our team will meet. And we're going to have lunch together, and we're going to work together. We truly believe that we live life together. We meet every other week together. We're we're not just laborers in Christ. We're friends. We got each other's back. Like we, we want a, a unified church. Our teams are unified. We preach that. We teach that. We do devotionals together. If you're on a team, you know that. We're doing devotionals together. We try to build that unity. And he said, Mike, I, I, we could never do that in my church. I said, the minute I elevate one person or bring somebody close to me, his exact words, you were there. His exact words, they're like crabs in a bucket. As soon as one gets close to me, they'll tear each other down and try to get in and get close to me. And as soon as that person gets close to me, they'll tear that person down and somebody else will try to get close to me. It's like that would never work in our church. 
They compete. You guys aren't competing with each other. They compete. How does that blessing work? How does that work? But you can curse that blessing. So nobody can curse your blessing. The only person that can curse your blessing is you. You're the only one. How do you do that? I want us to stand. I know we're in Christmas season. We just came off of Thanksgiving. We all really are blessed in this house. Everyone in this room, you have something to be grateful for. You have something you can put under that tree for your kids or your family. You have something you're going to give to somebody. Whether it's just a card or it's a gift, there's something you can do for somebody. Nobody can curse your blessing but you. And the minute you start to curse your blessing is when you start to exalt yourself above the one that blessed you. You need to show your kids how to put others before yourself. You need to show others that putting others before you will keep the blessing of God in your life. Because if all we do is like Nebuchadnezzar, we sit there and we say, this is my palace. I am content. I am prosperous. That blessing was ripped from him so fast. Something he should have learned in that previous chapter never did. Or it could be just like that prodigal son chasing something that was too premature for him. It's too early for him. And what do we do? We want to seek after those things. We seek a position. We seek that inheritance first. It is a blessing, but in the wrong season, it will be a curse to you. And you'll end up in a place where you thought you would never imagine. How could it be me that would eat from the slop of the pigs? I can't even eat the same meal as the pigs. I'm eating what they drop. You ever get to a place in life where you say, I never, how did I get here? How did I put myself in this situation? What, what happened here? God blessed you. But you turn his blessing into a curse because you served the creation more than the creator. You put more emphasis on the blessing than the one that blessed you. I want us all to come up to the front. Just like Judas, we have an audience with the one. Just like Judas, none of us are qualified on our own merit to make it to heaven. None of us are qualified on our very own. Our righteousness are like filthy rags to him. But because of his blessing, his favor, you have the opportunity to be on your faith journey and make your, make your way to those streets of gold. But just like Judas, who would meet with the master and have those conversations, somewhere in that blessing of a relationship, he started compromising who he was started compromising his seat with the master started compromising what he was doing and started having a sense of entitlement and thinking that he could it's okay if I do this I deserve this it's you know what I, I, I this is owed to me nobody understands what I really do nobody sees what I really do are we here to do the unseen or are we here to do the seen are we here to really do the things that attracts the attention of God are we here to attract the attention of man while under the umbrella of God are we using the ministry as a facade for what we're trying to do? Are we using the ministry of what God has given us, the blessing that he has given us, to build up our own kingdom? Where is your heart? Is it really for the things of God, or is it to empower your own kingdom? Now, I want us to pray as, we're, as they begin to sing.
I want us to begin to pray over our families, over our children. The very things that God trusted you with. I would never want to lose my kids because I put them first and not God first. I want my kids to see that I, I can pray at the altar. I want my kids to see that daddy just doesn't get us really cool things. That is investing into the kingdom and helping others. Because I want my kids to see from me what it is to take care of a blessing and not let that blessing start to own me and control me. I want my kids to know that when dad goes to work, it's to provide for not just the family, but it's also to provide for the kingdom. It is a vehicle, it is a tool that I will use to reach somebody and help somebody else. It's not just for me, it's for somebody else. I want them to know when I'm praying, it's just not for me. It's not just for them, I'm praying for others around me. That when you call and you need a prayer request, you know I'm gonna be praying with you. I want my kids to know, man, daddy's praying father. He's praying in this household. I want them to know those things, why? Because I never want to have my blessings turned into a curse. And so in this season, I am reminding you of the one that blessed you. And I'm asking you now, as we start to think over these next few weeks, don't let the curse of that credit card come back in January because you got to pay it all off for one moment of your child or your nephew or your grandparents or your parents opening up some gift that they'll throw away in a couple of weeks and you're stuck paying for that. And now it's a curse because you're having to work overtime. All of a sudden now you can't, you can't contribute to your Let's Imagine campaign because you've overspent in your household. All of a sudden now you have mortgaged yourself out into debt that now you can't take care of somebody in need because you're so worried about yourself. That we've spent so much time working on decorating our own home that we forget to hang the ornaments where they really matter. And that's laying everything at Jesus' feet. Saying, all right, God, you know what? I refuse to let the cares of this world bring me down, to own me, to control me, to influence me, to buy me out. Because I don't want my blessing turning into a curse. Lord, I'm grateful for the blessing of children that you have given me. I'm thankful that you've trusted me with my two boys. I'm thankful that you've trusted me with my wife. I'm thankful that you've trusted me with those that are the closest to me. But God, I never want to sacrifice my blessing, Lord, because I have been so full.